Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's episode where we're talking all about Obi Wan Kenobi Part Four, which aired on June eighth, twenty twenty two. What did you think of this episode, Charlotte? So obviously, I enjoyed this episode. I think I said before that this show is reaching like new heights for me and I love it and everything. Was this the best episode that I've seen so far of Obi-Wan Kenobi? No. Was it still super entertaining and did I love it? Yes. I think that this was a classic like middle of the road episode, (laughs) I think, in the series where we're like literally in the center before we wrap up with the conclusion. I'm guessing these next two episodes are going to be pretty heavy, pretty deep. Just a lot, I feel like, because we have a lot of things to wrap up. So I think that this was sort of the perfect middle ground type of episode. I really expected to get some sort of flashback situation in this episode. So I think my expectations were up in this specific episode and they shouldn't have been. And that was my fault. But but I do think that this episode was like, it was fine. It was good. I really enjoyed it and I had a good time with it. Yeah, I think as far as like action episodes, action-packed episodes, I really liked this episode in general. But I do think there was the opportunity for Force Ghosts, for some spooky things in the beginning. I do. I mean, we had the Magda tank. We had the the whole uh, kind of montage going back and forth between Obi-Wan and Vader, which was great. Don't get me wrong. But I do think there was opportunity to kind of explore Obi-Wan's psyche in that sense a little bit more. And then also, I think we had speculated that Reva would kind of share her story with Leia this week too. And I was totally ready for that as well. (laughs) And we didn't get that. So I think kind of those two big things that honestly seemed kind of obvious to me Mm -hmm. when I'm thinking about this story. And, you know, I'm not a writer, but I was like, this, this feels like not crazy speculation. (laughs) There's still two more episodes. I think we'll, and you know, who knows, maybe a second season, right? Like knock on wood. There's a lot of possibility for the last two episodes. But yeah, I think that I felt that those theories about some more weird force stuff and then Riva and Leia seemed kind of obvious to me. So I was a little let down isn't the right word, but I guess like surprised that they weren't included in this episode. Yeah. But overall, I think the episode, the tension of the episode totally kept me on the edge of my seat. For the whole episode, though. So I think that is the mark of a good episode. The whole time, you know it's a good episode when the whole time you're sitting there going, Leia and Obi-Wan are going to be a-okay. They're going to make it through this. I know they do. They are in the following movies. (laughs) 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 But like our other characters like Tala and Riva, I was so like worried about especially when Vader shows up at the end of the episode, mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. "Whoa, okay, all right, he's he's here and he's angry." Um, so I, I was I was very worried about all of our side characters, extremely worried. And so I think the tension worked really well. I think this episode did a lot of interesting things in it. Um, so overall, I liked it, and we actually had a really good discussion about it in our Discord this week about. Um, like quote unquote filler episodes. Not that this is a filler episode, but like how people kind of react to episodes that they call filler episodes. And once we're able to see this whole six part series all at once and all together, that this episode is really going to flow very nicely in the overall storyline. 
And I think it, I agree. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember that they've also really built this show as a long movie. I think that's how a lot of the actors have talked about it, too. So I think once we get the whole picture, it's going to flow even more nicely than I think it has. And even upon the second rewatch uh, this week, I thought I was very intrigued by the things that this episode was doing. So I agree. Yeah. So while last week is going to be a hard one to top for me as far as favorite, actually episodes two and three for my favorite episodes of the series, episode four was good. Yeah. I think that I'm with you in the, with the second rewatch, my expectations for the episode have were like removed and I was able to kind of absorb the episode as it is. We say this all the time on the show that like the second rewatch is where it's at, not the first one. So I, or the second watch, not the whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that I had a lot of expectations about the conversation between Leia and Reva, but actually like what is in the episode is really good and there's a lot to discuss there. So we should get into it because you already mentioned this in the very beginning when Obi-Wan is in the back to tank. Yes, we both thought that there was going to be some sort of flashback to flashback moment, just like in Book of Boba Fett. But let's talk about what's actually in the episode. I thought it was super cool that they intercut Vader in his own back to tank with Obi-Wan in his after getting to the rebel base and being so confused and overwhelmed. I just, I don't know. I think that that was a really good piece of editing and exactly what they should have done coming off of the fact that Vader was burning Obi-Wan alive, just like Obi-Wan did that to Anakin. So I I don't know. It worked for me. I think that, again, when we talk about watching this all at once, uh, once we can do that with all of the episodes, I think that that will make a lot of sense. And it just goes really well with like literally what we came off of just five minutes before in the story. I think the editing in between Vader and Obi-Wan worked really well and kind of that confusion about who we were seeing at any given moment. I know I almost um, thought that it was Obi-Wan who had the severed arm on my first watch when they showed <laughs> Anakin's mechanical arm. Um, I, I For a second, I was like, oh my God, wait, did, did Vader cut off his arm? Did he have to get it amputated? Did I completely miss that for like a split second? And then I realized, oh no, wait. There's a C-3PO joke somewhere in here. Right? <laughs> there 100% is. <laughs> but yeah. And then of course too, like the overlay of audio has been so prevalent throughout this entire series. And so the choice for them to include the, you should have killed me when you had the chance um, mm-hmm. being overlaid in this scene, I think, is important because now Obi-Wan is getting a small taste of the pain that Anakin is in, that he did put him in by burning him. So I think overall, something that's been really interesting to watch with this series has been how it's created these really strong parallels to the other films. And I think this episode has clearly drawn a very strong parallel to A New Hope, Leia in the detention center, being rescued, being tortured for information, up to the point where in her conversations with Reva, I was like, is she going to say a fake planet? Is she going to be the one to give a fake planet here and then try that trick again (laughs) in A New Hope? Right. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that's been, I think that's been really cool to watch because it hasn't felt, I think this one has been the most, well, I don't know. Last week was pretty clearly the Empire 
draw a parallel. I don't think they've been fan servicey though, I guess I should say. I think they've mm-hmm. been really well done. And of course, last week also had the Revenge of the Sith parallel. I think episode two had a lot of Attack of the Clones vibes. And then I think we get a little bit of Phantom Menace callbacks with, you know, the underwater portion. And then I actually really felt a lot of Revenge of the Sith uh, when Obi-Wan is going up through all the levels that reminded me a lot of the beginning um, when him and Anakin are infiltrating I, uh, I can't think of the, the name invisible of the hand. The invisible hand. Yes, thank you. <laughs> like, not the <laughs> supremacy. The invisible <laughs> hand. To me, that really felt kind of similar to them going in to rescue Palpatine. And for me, I kept thinking about that parallel and then also how Obi-Wan was not with Anakin uh, in this scenario. He was by himself because he doesn't have his partner anymore. Um, it kind of highlighted to me how he was on his own. But I'm, I think it's been cool how they've done this throughout the series, uh, paralleling the other films. And I'm excited to see what other parallels we get in the future uh, in the last two episodes, if we'll get something that feels really Return of the Jedi or even something that feels a little bit more The Phantom Menace when we get back to Tatooine, which I imagine we'll be back there at some point uh, before the series is over. But I really enjoyed it. And I think I really liked, especially where Leia is concerned, comparing Leia in this episode to how we see her reacting to situations in A New Hope. Or even in A, in a New Hope also with Obi-Wan mm-hmm. with how he acts when he's on the Death Star. First off, if you think about A New Hope and how shocked he is to see the Death Star, number one, and then once he's there, he's sneaking around, but he's so confident in the Force and why he's there and everything. And then, of course, when he dies and he sees Luke and Leia together, I don't know. I just I think that there's a sense of confidence in A New Hope that is obviously not present here. And I think that's the whole theme of the episode really is understanding and starting from a point of Obi-Wan at his like total weakest point of starting off like literally in Bacta, unable to really exist. And then finally like bringing out that lightsaber, using the force, using the force to hold back like a huge, you know, rush of water with glass and everything like that. I don't know. I feel like there there was a sense of Obi-Wan starting from like the bottom and then (laughs) growing in confidence by the end of this episode Mm -hmm. that when you place it into a familiar format, like the infiltration of an Imperial base, like we see in the Death Star in A New Hope, you understand what's going on with the characters here, just in the same way that you do with Leia. But I think it's more important here with Obi-Wan than it is with Leia. But it it definitely is very clear when you can compare them in, in their ages and everything. Yeah, absolutely. I think something that we were referencing before about being a little disappointed in the conversations that transpired between Leia and Riva weren't so fruitful, but I think that we should focus on what actually happened in those scenes. And I think it was, I don't know, I was pretty shocked, I guess, that we were going to witness Leia being interrogated, like in general, like a 10-year-old child. And Reva really took it super far, even by taking her into the torture chamber and everything. But one thing I thought was super interesting was how when Reva tried to access her mind, which is a force skill that I think really took hold in the sequel trilogy, really, with like <laughs> Leia's own son, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think I, I loved the line of, is this a staring contest? <laughs> because it was pretty clear that, number one, it, I think you could have had a line that was something like Leia being like, you can't get into my mind. What are you trying to do? Or anything like that. But her saying, is this a staring contest? Just so perfect. And so Leia. 
and also proof that her mind is pretty impenetrable. If I think too much about it, they needed to use that interrogation droid on Leia in A New Hope to get anything out of her. And I think this really goes back to her using her using the force for her like mentally, not necessarily for like agility or in other ways that like Luke would use the force. But it, it is her way of like sensing emotions and closing off her mind and things like that. Uh, makes a lot of sense to me. Well, it's like like you said, outlining the differences between how Luke and Leia use the force and what their strengths are because even going back to the beginning of the series the whole notion that obi-wan isn't going to leave tatooine for leia he's only in it for luke and this idea that like luke is the is the um the one to save vader that he's the strongest force user like that whole thing um is always very prevalent i think throughout the original trilogy and leia's force abilities aren't explored in that way so i think them kind of seeding her force abilities throughout some of these throughout something like the Obi-Wan Kenobi show is really great to showcase that these siblings are balanced in their force abilities. And it's not that Luke was ultimately stronger in the force that he was able to do X, Y, and Z. It's that their skills were different and that Luke's compassion for his father was different than Leia's too. I think that's an element in their overall stories too. But what's great about Leia and and this whole conversation, because you're right, I think this would have been a good place, like we said, to talk about Reva's past. But I do think that the conversations that her and that Reva and Leia have are really fascinating because Reva really does treat Leia like an equal. And that sounds weird when this is an interrogation torture situation. But I think especially by the end, she realizes that Leia is super smart and is on her game. The whole the whole thing at the end of Leia's deception of, well, we have to tell my father first. And so perfect. Yeah. You, so perfect. That's, that's okay, right? You said we're all on the same side. And Reva knows immediately that she's been played. And <laughs> <laughs> I think I think this also goes to show how Leia is the perfect leader of the rebellion, especially when we start thinking about her mind being impenetrable. Um, if she's going to eventually be the leader of the rebellion, she is able to keep all of these secrets and she becomes mm-hmm. uh, like her mind becomes a safe house itself in a lot of ways. So I wonder if in, maybe in, in this show or in the future, they'll explore exactly how well um, she's able to conceal things through the force um, in her mind. I think that was really a good thing to include in this in this show. And it is funny too, because that Kylo couldn't do that <laughs> in the force. <laughs> Ray like very easily figures out what's going on. Again, oh, different, that, is, that is funny. I didn't think story about function, that. right? Like there's, they're a dyad. So I guess, I guess maybe that's um, unfair of me. <laughs> to Kylo, <laughs> But I do think it's funny that like 10 year old Leia here who has probably never really been exposed to the force or like the training or anything like that is able to uh, one-up Reva in this situation. Yeah, and I, I don't even think she realizes that she's one, one-upping her. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe she does. Yeah, on, maybe on some level she's like, I'm outsmarting her. Yeah. One of the things I thought was interesting or good a good takeaway from this conversation too was Reva telling Leia that 
you know, Obi-Wan is dead. No one is coming to save you. The only person who can save you is yourself. And I do think that that is something that Leia takes with her. And we see that in A New Hope when she jumps into action immediately when Luke gets in there and, you know, somebody's got to save our skin. She the one, she's the one that figures out the plan for sending them down the garbage chute. Like, she does rely on herself. And I think um, even in, like, different uh, – in Bloodline, people referring to her as, like, the cold princess. Isn't that what they refer to her as? Yeah, the ice ice queen. The ice, ice queen. Princess. Yeah, and yeah. that kind of – retreating into herself in a little in a, a little bit too of like the only person I ultimately can rely on is myself and I think part of Leia's greater story not only seeing like her compassion for others here but um when she does open up and allow herself to create this family with Han and Luke in the future um because she has been through so much and especially with the destruction of Alderaan and everything like that it just you know, it's it's part of her greater character arc, right? Like, just because she's a compassionate, very open child doesn't mean that the the hardships she faces later on in her life aren't going to affect her. But I did think that that line of the only person you can re- who can save you is yourself, I do kind of think Leia maybe takes that with her in the future. Totally. I also think you clued in on something that I think Reva also clued, clued in on, which is she's a compassionate person. Leia yeah. is a compassionate person. And I think that we think about her as sarcastic and everything that she is in the original trilogy. But as a child, it's very clear that that compassion comes to the surface and is like a true defining characteristic of Leia. And Reva uses that against Leia very much so. We should have seen this coming. I don't know why we didn't with the the fact that, you know, Reva put a tracker on Lola. This like this gets me because it just makes so much sense. I was watching this with my mom actually this morning, and when when Reva reveals that she has put a tracker on the ship, we were both like, "When did that even happen? That doesn't make any sense." And then I then it it dawned upon me <laughs> that it was Lola. Uh, I'm not ready to see like an evil Lola or something like that. I don't know. Um, just because I think the show has really which this is the point of it doing this is that this is why it works really well narratively is that the show has done a lot of work to show Leia's own compassion towards droids, towards treating droids as equal, towards talking to them about what if they have something to say, all of that. Right. And now Lola is probably going to be the reason why their location is found. Dark side, Lola, dark side, Lola. It's just like uh, freaking Goldie in, <laughs> in the Clone Wars, never forget. I think that something here, though, that is is worth commenting on is in the initial interrogation with Leia and Riva. Riva says, "I had a droid once when I was younger. It was taken from me, like everything else." And I think that just it's a window into Riva's own character and how, if we are going with the theory that she was a youngling in the a Jedi youngling in the very beginning of the show. And has something, you know, has a huge grudge against the Jedi, maybe specifically Obi-Wan, and uh, feels like she's owed something. I think that here we're, we're, we're seeing that she, uh, sorry, <clears throat> we see that she is continuously denied something and she feels, she really does feel like she is owed something because she says everything was taken from her, makes you wonder what what actually that was yeah it was the droid it's interesting to think about her like 
grasping onto companionship because I don't think that's even something that she has with the Inquisitors. And if we think about the Inquisitors as like an order, I've seen some people online talking about how it's pretty brilliant that Darth Vader has the Inquisitors because that like work for him. Because when the Jedi put Anakin on the council, not the Jedi, Palpatine put Anakin on the council and the Jedi did not accept him as master and really gave him no responsibilities there. And that is something that Anakin craved. He wanted that power. But here he has power over the Inquisitors that he wields very violently and aggressively as we see in this episode. I don't know. I think it's interesting because I don't think that while I think you have companionship within the Jedi, you don't have companionship with the Inquisitors. So if you want to think about them as sort of um, diff different sides of the coin, right? This like order of fallen Jedi, these force sensitive um, Inquisitors versus the Jedi order of years past, there's a lot of similarities, I guess, because they're force sensitive and things like that, wield lightsabers, et cetera. But at the same time, they don't have a sense of, they're on the dark side, really. They're bad guys. They don't have a sense of companionship. So I guess with Reva also, I mean, it's very clear that she's at odds with other people within like the, the fifth brother and the Grand Inquisitor and things like that. Also, it's been two episodes since we've seen the Grand Inquisitor. I just realized that. Hope he's okay. Hope Maybe he's not. okay. <laughs> is he coming back? Who's to say? <laughs> well, the thing is, if he does come back, it is a problem because Riva told Vader that Obi-Wan killed the Grand Inquisitor. So if he does come back, if he's found his own back to tank, uh, he's going to have something to share. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that sense of them against each other is so intriguing in the show that I think it will continue as especially now that Vader said that he's not going to tolerate Reva's weaknesses any longer. As much as she said that, yes, she provided a tracker, I still think that she had Obi-Wan here. Leia escaped. She had Leia. She's She's faltering. This episode, she falters. Right. And I think that that is important to note. Well, and she also had a potential, uh, not potential, it's confirmed basically, uh, a spy from that was infiltrating the Empire through Tala. Yeah. And they almost destroyed the base, flooded the base. Uh, a lot of things went wrong for, for Reva in this episode. And yeah, I do continue to kind of wonder what her ultimate endpoint is in this series um, because she's kind of continually walking on thin ice. I think we're talking about the Inquisitors and Vader's. Maybe we should like kind of jump a little bit to the end of the episode. Um, and we did talk about Lola and everything like that too. But I thought probably the most, the thing that gives me the most hope for Reva making it out of this series alive. Well, I don't know. I probably shouldn't say that <laughs> at the end of that whole scene between Vader and Reva and the other Inquisitors when Vader looks like he's getting ready to kill her and she tells him that she has a tracker on Lola, you know, wherever it goes, wherever they go, it follows. And I think it's the fifth brother who says something like, I forget what he says. Like they all, oh, they, they almost destroyed the base. And Reva says, Kenobi is the only thing that matters. And it's clear that Vader agrees with her on that. And we kind of touched on this before. It's part of our whole speculation that maybe the grudge that Reva actually holds is to Obi-Wan specifically and how she knows what she knows about him and Vader or Vader and Obi-Wan and their past together. And all of that is something that is kind of 
it's something that I think needs to be kept on the back burner. But I think her vocalizing this in the moment of Kenobi is the only thing that matters is very clear that that's where Vader's uh, priorities are right now, too. And I think that's why he's keeping her around. Um, and I think he said so in the last episode, too, something along the lines of like, I understand your need for revenge or something like that, you know? Yeah, personally, I think there's a lot to discuss and wrap up, I think, between the relationship between Vader and Reva, keeping her around, um, keeping her alive and like Reva's own fate. I think that so much of Reva's past is hidden from us and we're supposed to be intrigued by it that I do think a big reveal is coming. I'm not sure what that reveal is. And personally, like I can speculate every which way about it, but I just don't know which how it's going to happen. Vader is the big bad, right? And then we have Reva, who is like the the ultimate foe between Leia and Obi-Wan, right? That's really coming between them that is like forcefully hunting them down. It's interesting that Vader is not doing this himself. Well, maybe it's something he's keeping from Palpatine. Yeah. I think that's kind of like what I'm getting at is I think there's something something more there that we just don't know yet. So I'm I'm looking forward to that reveal with Reva. I think that one of the writers even talked about how like they had to keep a lot of things with Reva hidden. I think there's potential for Reva to potentially uh, run away from the Inquisitors, to be redeemed, to change her path or something, or potentially tell Vader that she killed Obi-Wan and let Obi-Wan go for some reason. And then that's why Vader doesn't pursue Obi-Wan again until they meet again in in A New Hope. Something like that, I think, is we're leading towards that. I just don't know what that like final piece is. And I want to be surprised by it and not over-speculate on it, I guess, of why she is within this story in this like very personal ecosystem between Anakin and Obi-Wan and Leia, I guess. I think that there's something there and we're going to be surprised by it. Yeah, I think there's something to the fact that Vader, like you said, isn't the one going after Obi-Wan. Either he can or he won't. So he's sending this middle man effectively through Reva to like really concentrate on this. If we're thinking about like what Vader's doing in like Rebels era when we're kind of really introduced to the Inquisitors, they're all going after like Kanan and Ezra, right? And so of course Vader has no skin in the game with Kanan and Ezra. He doesn't have an emotional relationship with them. They're just other force users, which we know that the Inquisitors, even in this time period, are going after other force users. So it makes sense that Vader is not really involved in that story until Ahsoka enters the story and is suddenly a part of that, of the ghost crew of the Rebel Cell, Fulcrum, all of that. And then that's finally when Vader shows up at the end um, or to finally do the confrontation with Ahsoka. So I wonder, like, what is the what is the reasoning here that he's not the one doing this personally with Obi-Wan? Perhaps we'll find out by the end of the series. But yeah, there's something there with Reva, Anakin, Obi-Wan, the past, everything that she does and doesn't know, and everything that we do and don't know about her, too. Totally. Can we talk a little bit about the new characters that were introduced to? I mean, last week we were introduced to Tala, and then now this week we're introduced to Roken, O'Shea Jackson's junior's character. I am intrigued by him because <laughs> I feel like the lines that we were given were really interesting when he says, 
I had a wife once. I knew exactly what she was before we got married. We tried to hide it and the Inquisitors found her anyway. So I know exactly what the Empire can do. And then he agrees like right after that to help Obi-Wan after kind of begrudgingly accepting. I thought that was, that happened really fast, by the way. (laughs) But I thought his lines were really interesting. He refers to Obi-Wan as general. So like, who is he? I know that people um, had speculated that perhaps... His character could be Quinlan Voss since Quinlan was mentioned in the last episode. But yeah, I think that he obviously has a relationship with, was active during the Clone Wars and is like very aware of who Obi-Wan is. And of course, we're in the rebellion now, so it could be anyone. But I don't know. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, I don't. Has this, has this show confirmed that what these people are doing is the rebellion? No, yes. I think this is like the end of the path. So I assume, you know what? That's a really good question. I just assumed it was the rebellion because it looked like it was, but I actually think you're more onto something that will be explained in Andor probably. That's, yeah, um, that's kind of what I'm thinking because I think that what's happening here is is not the rebellion. It seems like they're I don't think it's their focus, but it seems like they do a lot of like smuggling of force sensitive people. And if Rogan is, he kind of is acting like a leader on Javim. So if he has had this thing happen with his force sensitive wife, maybe that's how he started the path. I don't know if he started it, but he, like I said, he acts like a leader on Javim with Tala. And now that they're, they have Leia and I assume all of them are eventually some of them like Tala or Roken are going to, I would say maybe meet Bail Organa. And I I think kind of all of those pieces are going to start to come together with Fulcrum, the rebellion and the path. And I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right that we'll kind of see this storyline continue in Andor. And I wouldn't be surprised if we wouldn't saw some of these characters in Andor. Yeah. I think that would be really cool. Honestly, I think that's super true. And I just didn't think about that until you put that into perspective that, yeah, this is just the end of the path. If the beginning of the episode and the back to tank follows up directly with what happened in the last episode, why would I assume any different that this wouldn't follow up with exactly what Tala said it was? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think that's totally true. But still, I want to know the backstory. Also, like a former Jedi with a wife. Like, I need to know. I need to know more. Well, if she was a Jedi, I think right. that, I think this show has laid a lot of groundwork for a lot of stories in this time period, like offshoots, yeah. like everything with the path. And then something that I feel like you and I are kind of bringing up now and then is about Force-sensitive people who don't become Jedi and what happens to them. Maybe maybe his wife was a Jedi who escaped. And like, um, oh, what's his name? The clone Cut. Yeah, Cut, his name, Cut and Run. Um, the clone Cut who left and started a family. Maybe it happened with his wife that she escaped Order 66 and uh, had to hide her identity as a Force-sensitive person. Or maybe she grew up Force-sensitive and the system that she was on had a fear of the Jedi. And we we know that some systems do from the Clone Wars that they don't approve of the Jedi and what they do. So maybe they hid her Force sensitivity and then she was discovered later on. You know what I mean? Like, I think there are a lot of possibilities here. And um, I'm glad that it's something that has come up. And I think I said this last week when we first found out about the path and the safe houses. But I really do hope that by the end of this, like maybe Obi-Wan's house somewhere on Tatooine becomes a safe house that Obi-Wan 
is involved yes. in. Um, I think that would be really cool for his whole storyline of seclusion, of his head in the sand. Wow, it's very much like Jen, right? Of like where mm-hmm. we find Obi-Wan in the beginning of the series. That line I love that I always bring up of you can stand to see the Empire's flag fly. And Jen says it's not a problem if you don't look up. I think that was Obi-Wan um, when we met him in the beginning of the series. And then he, you know, Jin is ready to risk it all by the end of Rogue One. And I hope that we see Obi-Wan kind of come to that same place too, that even though he is committed to protecting Luke on Tatooine, assuming he decides not to leave Tatooine again, um, and that could be wrong too, but if I'm thinking about the story that way, that he also thinks it's worth the risk to be involved in something like the path and fulcrum, the rebellion, whatever it is, and that he can do something uh, from where he is on Tatooine to help other Force-sensitive people. I don't know what that looks like because, of course, by A New Hope, it's not like Bale has direct contact with Obi-Wan because he sends Leia there rather than contacting him himself. But, like, that can all be explained away at some point. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's that's a yeah, thing. But yeah. anyway, I hope that Obi-Wan is willing to take the risk by the end of the series of helping the quote-unquote cause while also being able to maintain what I assume he thinks is his duty with Luke. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And that would contrast what we saw in the, those first two episodes with that Jedi who he basically sent away and told to bury his lightsaber. It would be a good yeah. character moment for him. Yeah. I think now would probably be a good time to talk about Obi-Wan's own relationship to the Force and how I think this episode really explores that aspect. Like, I think as much as this show in this specific episode itself was um, more action heavy and everything, I think we do have like several arcs happening, including Obi-Wan's own relationship to the Force in this episode. We begin with him you know, being plagued by dreams, whether that's force or not, that's to be seen. And then also he he's so weak, he doesn't he's both weak in the fact that he's healing, but also he hasn't really practiced using the force in a long time. So it's a lot of muscle memory for him. And I think that he is struggling almost immediately on that first transport with even just pushing, you know, random objects. And I think that he, uh, you have this conversation with him and Tala about being plagued by memories and forgetting memories and things like that. And he says, uh, some things can't be forgotten. And he's just like not fully getting there with the force. And I just think that his, his relationship to the force, especially in this episode, actually mirrors his relationship with Leia. And I think this even goes back to that great line that was in the last episode about what does the force feel like? What is it? And the whole like turning on a light in the dark situation. I think Leia is that light in the dark for Obi-Wan, especially in this series. And the more he spends time with Leia, the more he feels his true calling as like he embodies his own his past self as a Jedi. I think that he he goes from literally rejecting Leia basically <laughs> and saving Leia to thinking that to saying yes and then thinking things are just business that he's going to be really gruff towards her and then ultimately using the force to save her when she's like falling from the building. And that was like the first moment where he uses the force, right? And that's the first moment where he 
feels that enough compassion to basically save her. And I feel like that line also mirrors, we've talked about this before, the line with with Padme and Obi-Wan um, holding on and everything like that when Padme was giving birth. And then finally, in the very end, especially in this episode, he fully cares for her. Tala even asks Obi-Wan, do you care for, for Leia? You really do care about her. And Obi-Wan's like, yeah, it's much more than than just a job. It's this understanding that you have to protect this child and be this like surrogate father for her at this moment. I mean, almost literally, right? When they're like playing pretend in that last episode, the hand holding at the end of this episode, I think really brings it all together. I mean, hands are a language. I was like crying. It was the cutest thing ever that they, that Leia reaches out in that, that's compassion. And then Obi-Wan reaches back and there's just like this moment of them just holding hands. I mean, it is just so sweet. It's so nice. It's so soft and it's exactly what we needed. And I also think that it mirrors this acceptance and remembering of Anakin and his relationship with Anakin and how meaningful that it is, is that is in his life. He spent 10 years pushing that out of his brain and becoming a new person and also beating himself up over what happened. And here's his child, right, that comes into his life. And she is nothing like Anakin, but also everything like Anakin and reminds him of all those good times and how much Obi-Wan loved Anakin as well as a brother. So of course he's going to love her, his child as well. So all that to say, once Obi-Wan accepts Leia into his heart, he also gets his groove back with the force. I mean, we're not fully there, but we did see a lightsaber situation in this episode that was uh, he was definitely like feeling himself. And then right after he's like, wait, Leia, <laughs> so great. <laughs> and I, I, I think that, I don't know. I think that this episode really did show that progression. Yeah. I think the show had the difficult thing. Like once it decided that it was about Obi-Wan saving Leia, I think it had the difficult task of like revealing who Vader was like making Obi-Wan, know that Anakin was Vader and I think when he realizes that the the pre like the the realization now of truly what Leia represents is like tenfold it means tenfold more than it did when Vader was just this random Sith bad guy or whoever if whoever uh, Obi-Wan thought that Vader was at that point but now it's like oh my god like this this and he keeps saying this to other people like you have no idea how important she is not only to like bail and i think obi-wan probably knows a little bit about what bail is doing with the rebellion maybe not but also as who she is to anakin and to vader and the danger of that potential too but i think i think they did a great job of making sure that obi-wan kind of forms his own relationship with Leia that is not just built out of guilt for what he believes he did to his father, her father. Um, Cause I think it, they could have gone that route or, or it could have played out that way. It could have been betrayed, portrayed that way to the audience that Obi-Wan is really only doing this because he feels guilty about what happened to Anakin. I think you and McGregor and, and Vivian do a great job of, showing their relationship is like true and with each other and it's not built on these like other things if that makes sense and particularly with Ewan he's having to deal with so many 
conflicting, honestly, like storylines and layers of his relationship with Leia because of his relationship with Padme and with Anakin and with Bale and with the rebellion and she's force sensitive and he knows what inquisitors do. And not only that, but she's Vader's kid and he feels guilty about what happened with Anakin. Like all of those things could really push him to have almost like a wall with Leia and he doesn't. And that's part of what you were saying a lot more eloquently of this episode of him getting his groove back. And then that is paralleled with him kind of fully embracing his compassion and dare I say attachment to Leia for you, you may say you may. attachment. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's something I can't really, I haven't really found a good way to articulate yet, but you brought it up um, earlier when Tala was talking to Obi-Wan on their way to, what is the name of the planet? Nur? Nur? Fourth person yeah. quiz. It's, a, it's like a moon of Moose. Yeah. About, she says, you, uh, you, it's not that you just need to forget the past, uh, like your body, you need to heal emotion or you need to heal emotionally from the past, I think is more or less what she says. And Obi-Wan says, like you already mentioned, you know, some things can't be forgotten. And I think there's this really interesting conversation that's kind of always going through Star Wars of attachment and the past and what you are able to let go, what you should let go, how you can't fully separate yourself from the choices you made in the past, but you can make a new choice in the future. And this is, of course, a huge conversation when we were in the sequel trilogy era with Kylo, with Ben Solo. And I think that that's at play here with Obi-Wan too. And I think we're kind of seeing some of the mechanics of that work out with, with Leia and his relationship with Leia as a representation of his past like a literal embodiment of perhaps the two people he feels like he failed the most, but also she is the hope for the future. And how do you take the love you had for those two people who you let down and one of who is the greatest evil in the galaxy also, but protect that person for the hope she could be for the future? Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also think that while Obi-Wan's relationship is mirrored, like mirrors his relationship to the Force, and that you're so right that they definitely could have stepped into this almost like heavy handedness of not addressing the fact that Obi-Wan does come to care for, you know, Luke and Leia, I guess. I also want to talk about how the show does set up Fortress and Inquisitorious as a metaphor for Obi-Wan's own experience. And I think it's super interesting. First off, I want to say it's so cool to see Fortress and Inquisitorious. I think it's a great design because it like purely mirrors Vader's castle and Mustafar. It looks awesome. I pulled out my Jedi Fallen Order art book. I haven't played the game. Caitlin and I both haven't played the game, but I do have the art book because I, I love art books. And uh, I think it's really interesting because it talks about, and I'm just reaching behind me to grab it, it talks about how um, the the design for the fortress itself is obviously uh, derivative of Vader's castle, but it's inspired by Gothic cathedrals. And even though they had to re retain distinct elements of the Empire's aesthetic while creating it, but this like almost omnipresent, overarching, grand sense, uh, I like that it was inspired by 
cathedrals. Because for me, this entire episode actually mirrors Obi-Wan's like descent into hell and then back up again. Reminded me a little bit of like the Dante's Inferno of it all, of starting in the underworld and ending in paradise. When you go up, 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 up. We start off obviously, like I've mentioned this four times already, we start off with Obi-Wan like on the brink of death basically in in the Bacta tank and then like waking up from that feeling and gasping for air. It's almost like he was dead and now he's becoming awake within his tomb. When Obi-Wan enters through the bottom, he really does enter hell, right? Like he enters the underworld, there's ghosts, there's a tomb, there's these figures of old Jedi from the past. Like if we're talking about Obi-Wan needing to confront his past, he's literally confronting the dead versions of his past within a castle that while yes, it it resembles Vader's own castle, like in a sense, it also resembles the hard lines of the Jedi temple as well. And inside of it, there are entombed Jedi. And I think it's really interesting because we've seen this before. It was super spooky when he was walking down that, that hallway and everything like that. We've seen something similar before in Rebels with Luminara. That's like one of Caitlin and I's like favorite moments of pure Star Wars horror. And I know a lot of people are fans of that as well. It's so crazy that they just like keep these Jedi bodies on ice. Oh, God. I know. It's awful. And the thing that I thought was interesting here is that they're in like this like yellow encasement. It reminds me of Amber in Jurassic Park. If you've ever seen Jurassic Park, you know that the reason why they're able to bring back dinosaurs is because they find mosquitoes that get stuck in sap of trees that create and harden to create amber, which is an actual thing that is fossilized and they're able to like extract the blood from inside the mosquito that was once dinosaur blood. It's very complicated, but it's explained very well in the film. But I think it's weird that they are like encased in this like yellowy film. It just feels very deliberate because they totally could have made them look more museum-like with just like glass encasing, right? Yeah. Um, mannequins, basically. Well, and in Rebels, they only show it's like you just see the face. It's like the uh, yeah. the at the end of Clone Wars, the coffin that they use for Maul too from Mandalore. Right, exactly. And so this feels so specific. And I found myself thinking about like that process in Jurassic Park and like what the heck are they using? Like why would they do this? Mm-hmm. And why would why would Vader do this? And like what's the function here? Because I feel like it has a function. And then I was thinking about all the things that we think about when, and we talk about with the Mandalorian and why the Empire would ever want Grogu and is it because of force sensitivity and is it like harvesting that for blood or something like that because the parallel here feels very it just feels very direct and I don't know what to do with it we're keying up (laughs) for a bigger story here with yes I like yes we really have to be and slight spoilers for the Mandalorian trailer that premiered at celebration so skip forward 30 seconds or so a minute maybe but we know that they're, it looks like they're going back to that testing site in The Mandalorian Season 3. So, And Dr. Pershing was there. What, didn't we see him in the trailer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. in a big way. So I think, I think this storyline is coming back and we're going to look – I mean – not to not to mention Holocron Heist in the Clone Wars Season 2. <laughs> like, we've been teeing up this story since 2009. So I think right. we're, all, we're just putting these pieces all together. Hunting for sensitive babies, accessing the scribe that has the list of them themselves all in the galaxy. I mean, yeah, you could want to kill them because you want to get rid of the Jedi in the galaxy. Like, I get that. I mean, I don't obviously I don't understand that like on a on a personal level, but I understand that as like a villain story level. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, yikes. But I think that 
like I I get that that is enough of a scary bad guy thing to do, but I do think that there's something bigger here just because I feel like this was so deliberate. And yeah, Obi-Wan saying that it's a tomb, like what the heck? Because there was all these questions about what are they hiding? What's even in there? You know, what do they got in their King Kong type of vibe? It's it's confusing. It's deliberate. It's something to discuss. But regardless, the point is here that I'm trying to make is that Obi-Wan descended into the underworld, into a tomb, and then is rising above. He even has like a Moses moment with the the water rushing and like being able to escape and like parting it so that he could get by and running ba- running past and then allowing his own escape. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There was just a lot of metaphorical moments, I think, in this episode that are hiding in plain sight in a lot of ways. Yeah. I hate that I'm the person that I can't see people coming up through the bottom of a structure like this and not think about Spy Kids. Like, it's just... It's, <laughs> I mean, Robert Rodriguez I was know. thinking about it, too. I so. know. It's just... It's so ingrained in my head. Like, he popped up there, and I was like... Bye, kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, but obviously, yes, the greater symbolism there of the underworld rebirth, you know, coming back to all of that. I mean, I think stuff. that all of that, that even like in Spy Kids, all of that is always operating on that level that is yeah. so like ancient, yeah, basically. Exactly. Of, of that coming from the bottom yeah. and then rising up and like what is that so I think yeah. in this episode if we talk about his relationship to the force it starts off at a zero and it goes up to like a 10 yeah. and I think that's the same and that's that's relative to him escalating up this fortress mm-hmm. and discovering more and regain and like regaining Leia yeah. in order to escape and fly out the top yeah yeah I I will also say that I continue to love seeing these kind of big set pieces and like going Mm -hmm. underwater with them, like to the very bottom of these places. I think it's really cool to see them. Um, I don't know. They always feel like different and fun to me, like seeing the outside and the bottom of the Colossus, you know, obviously um, Naboo, the always, there's always a bigger fish, um, all of that. Camino, this was, uh, prevalent in the last season, the first season of The Bad Batch with Camino. I just think it's fun. And I like seeing, in a way, like the consistency of how some of these things are built on planets. I think it's a, a cool component to kind of add this into the catalog. Definitely. Speaking of like set pieces, it's not necessarily a set piece, but when Leia was brought into the torture chamber and then they like killed the lights and Obi-Wan rescued her with the lightsaber um, and all you really saw was the blue lightsaber, I thought that was super, super, super cool. And I think they did a really great job of that, uh, like with the camera super far back and that's what you see. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. My other stupid connection here is to the Mario (laughs) Party 2 minigame Lights Out. (laughs) It's very similar. <laughs> and I'm so no, sorry. <laughs> no, just no. Come on. It's cool, okay? <laughs> no, it's super cool, but very similar to the Mario Party minigame. <laughs> sure. Come on. You know it is. You and I have played that enough. Yeah, I know. I know it is. It is. It, yes. I'm sorry. That's... That's my brain sometimes, um, and I have a podcast so I can share it all with you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> I also think a really funny moment that I thought was actually perfect was Obi-Wan hiding Leia in the trench coat. From the front, I was like, this is ridiculous. I can't believe they're actually doing this. And it's like, working. Two guys in a trench coat. Because, it, it yeah, it, it shouldn't have worked when you saw Leia like peeking out 
the side, right? But then from the side, like when they move the camera to the side, you're like, wait, that actually works. That looks good. It's funny. It's so <laughs> funny. It's very funny. <laughs> One thing I, I really liked about the end of this episode, and I like when they do this in Star Wars, is when they have a Force user, but it's not the Force user or Jedi that saves the day. It's uh-huh. some other heroic figure. In this case, Wade and I don't know the other person's name uh, who came with Roken from the path to get Tala and Obi-Wan and Leia. I always really enjoy when, you know, we get to see someone who doesn't have these extraordinary abilities make the big final play, as it were. So I'm glad that I like really didn't know how they were going to get off the base. I thought Obi-Wan was going to have to break out his lightsaber. I was totally prepared for that. But then when it didn't even come to that, I thought it was great. Yeah, I think that that's a hallmark of Star Wars, and I think it's really good. I think that that's also this ending piece with those speeders that we see on Hoth. I think that's why I I related this to the Rebellion, by the way, and not like just the path, because this felt like a very Rebellion moment, you know, um, with the speeders coming up and saving them and everything. We should also talk about that like crazy briefcase looking bomb (laughs) that was attached were you like thrown off by that or is it just me? <laughs> I think it was just you. Okay, cool. Um, love that for me. Maybe this is like be- featured in a game or something, but it looked so, it was like a Lego brick. Like I so like, <laughs> what even was that? Anyway, not worth talking about, I guess, if you weren't astounded by it, but <laughs> yeah, I think that ending, that ending really worked for me, honestly. And then Let's just talk about it again. The hand-holding. The hand-holding. It was amazing. (laughs) Full cries. Full tears. Lots of tears. It was so good. I just, I really appreciate, you know, this episode was, I think this has been the shortest episode actually of the series so far, but I really appreciate that we just got, I don't know, I would say like a full minute at the end of just music and really like no dialogue except for I think the last thing spoken in the episode is where is Wade um and then we just get to see this group of people on this transport just like kind of sitting in everything that has happened so far and the comparison between Tala and the other fighter soldier as she calls them at the end of the episode and again I'm sorry I don't know her name I think it starts with an s anyway um, but Tala consoling her and uh, them consoling each other, I would imagine, for the loss of Wade and then Obi-Wan and Leia on the other side who were joyfully reunited and have kind of crossed this bridge to like a new to like a new understanding and a new part of their relationship together. And like we said, like Obi-Wan and his full attachment, I would say now, to Leia and this like bittersweet moment of the two of them together and then you know Tala on the other side and then we end with Lola and kind of the cliffhanger with Lola and her uh red flashing light yeah it's like we finally get to this point of acceptance and love and safety right with Obi-Wan and Leia and then the camera pans to Lola and you just sort of have this sense because of course we know that they're go- both these two are going to be okay in a in a sense that they don't die but you have to wonder like okay so yes we have crossed a bridge like you said between this relationship and 
they're like stronger together now. So what happens now that they're going to be followed and hunted? And I'm just, I'm, I cannot wait to see the next piece. I couldn't help but think about how so often hands are used to show these things of acceptance and love and a sense of like crossing a bridge, I guess. Like I'm using your term there. I don't know. I think that we have done an episode years ago now and we say that a lot. We say hands are a language because Sabine said that in Rebels in order to unlock the the basically the gates into the world between worlds and she used her her abilities to understand art to figure that out and it really was like <laughs> how important are the hands here in order to unlock the past the future the present we've done we've discussed this before but it has been years and we've gotten so many new additions into it i guess into all the different ways that hands are symbolic and i think that this is just another addition to that and i wanted to kind of like talk about that because we haven't really talked about how like our obsession with like hand holding i guess in star wars and how it really does show like an element of trust of familiarity of friendship of all of these things it, that we think of when we think of Star Wars themes. So very important. And it was very nice to see. <laughs> what a great way to end the episode. Very into it. Very happy. And then obviously that safety, that sense of friendship is like purely disrupted by our the audience's creep of oh my gosh, like doom is coming I because know. of Lola. I hope they don't go straight back to Jabim. I'm like, just go straight to Alderaan. I assume that's I don't. I bet they're not going to. I bet I they're going to go straight to Jabim. I know. I know. But why? Why not just go straight to Alderaan, avoid any other pit stops? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So many pit stops. So many pit stops. <laughs> just get her home. I am looking forward to future episodes. I'm still just waiting for Hayden Christensen, you know? I think that this episode, we didn't really talk that much about Vader in this episode because he was only in it for like two minutes. But every time we see Vader, it's very clear to me that the mannerisms of this Vader that we are seeing are very much Anakin in Revenge of the Sith, Hayden Christensen inside the suit and things like that. I just I can't get I enough. I need more. Yeah, I need more. Like I need to hear his voice as Anakin in some sort of like flashback or something like that. Like I just need more. Okay. <laughs> I, I, and I'm, I'm ready for it. for it. I'm kind of nervous now that maybe we just had our one spook. Yeah. And I know I said last time that I got the one spook <laughs> so like I can, you know, leave this show happy, but I would. No, no, no. I w I'm pretty confident that we're getting more. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And okay. I I think that that like one little bit of like spooky Anakin, I swear it was just the beginning, but now with only two episodes left, I don't know. However, two episodes left, if they're each an hour-ish, like we're still okay. clocking it like you a full movie saying, with two episodes. You keep saying an hour. None of these episodes have passed 45 minutes. Okay. 40 minutes. Okay. Still 45 plus 45 is still an hour and a half. So I think it's okay. It's still a okay. movie. Okay. 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 We have a whole movie left. Okay. Okay. We have a lot of time okay. and right. a lot of good things to happen. I mean, think about like the Star Wars movies and how much happens in all of those, right? Like there's it's a lot true. that can happen. It's also, true. this episode was the shortest one. Yes, you have noticed that. This one felt like the longest to me. It did feel long. Way. It did. Yeah. Yeah. It did feel really long. I think the pacing of these episodes is still really good. And I wanted to comment on this before about how I think that it was good that they intercut between Leia being interrogated by Riva and then like the rebellion, I guess not the rebellion part, the path part and like infiltrating the, um, the, the fortress and things like that. Like they very easily could have just 
done long scene, long scene, long scene, but I feel like the pacing was was really good. And this episode did not feel I didn't feel like skimped out by the shortest episode of the season, I guess, at all. No, I would agree with that, too. I will say, as I can kind of feel us wrapping up towards the end of this, uh, historically, the penultimate episode has usually been my favorite of seasons when we're going mm-hmm. into the the end of a season. Me too. Uh, really for the live action shows, but also for the, res- for the animated shows. So I'm uh, very nervous and ready and like excited to see next week's episode. So I have no idea what's coming. We're not prepared. I know. Whatever it is, I we're not prepared. Super confident with the flashback days and Reva's backstory in this episode. I, I would have put money on that. I would have too. I, I, I really would have put. I would have put like a solid seventy five dollars. <laughs> Again, it's okay. It is. It's okay. okay. But I'm like, I don't want to. I don't want to do any more hardcore speculating. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, sometimes that's how I like. I just think that needs to be like straight vibes. Like, yeah. I think that with, I don't with even the show know what the like vibes this are now because we've got Leia back. Yeah. You know, it feels like we've got this. We're gearing up for the duel, the rematch of the century. So okay, okay. that's what. Oh my god. What if the rematch is with all the spooks and also real Vader? <gasps> oh my God. I just had a crazy, <sighs> crazy thought that it's not going to happen, but I just want to put it out in the okay, universe. Okay. okay. Remember all of those um, rumors and the art that came out of the Rise of Skywalker before the Rise of Skywalker of the duels that were going to happen between Rey and Kylo that were going to be taking place on all these different planets that they had visited throughout all of Star Wars. And it was going to be very indicative of like their past and overcoming their past. And Mm. it's even on the cover of the Rise of Skywalker art of book of like the lightsabers going through different pieces and and things like that. Yeah. I don't think that Obi-Wan and Anakin, by the way, have a force bond um, or like a, they're a dyad at all. Like I think that they are connected to the force, but I just think it's different. What if they use elements of that? Nothing is ever thrown away, right? Yeah. Uh, to make this duel even more than like a standard, like the standard Mustafar duel. And it's like all about like overcoming the past or like be- confronting the past and things like that as like that is the main theme of this show. Yeah. Yeah, about that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's my that's my wild wish. I like that theory. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's I, not gonna happen. I'm just gonna, but I'm putting it out into the world. <laughs> I'm gonna combine both of our theories so that like when because right, like we've talked about how there has been a pretty strong in the beginning uh, parallel to Ahsoka and Vader's confrontation, and when like Ahsoka mm-hmm. is realizes who Vader is, and I think. That's pretty paralleled with Obi-Wan in this show, too. And I think it's also important that we remember that the very first episode of this show had a ending card of just special thanks to Dave Filoni. And World Between Worlds? Uh, I don't know about World Between Worlds. What I was just referring to can be seen as the World Between Worlds, too, by the way. Yeah. yeah. But, but we, we've always, like, the thing about World Between Worlds that Dave always said was that it, like, never appears the same way twice mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. whatever we see will be different than what we've seen before if it is world between worlds but i kind of think maybe maybe we should be thinking more mortis e and like yeah all of the visions that like imagine the end of mortis where anakin gets the vision of his whole future right and it's like swirling around him he forgets it all but like that 
kind of imagery is what I'm thinking of in my head, but it's Anakin and Obi-Wan in the middle of the tornado. And like every time Obi-Wan goes to strike at Vader, he sees Hayden Christensen, Anakin, much like how Ahsoka in Twilight of the Apprentice, when she slashes Vader's helmet, she sees Anakin. And it's like that moment for her where she falters. And I think we could see that with Obi-Wan and then like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying. I don't know. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I don't know. I, I want some weird force stuff. I think we're, we're going to get that, but I don't know how it's going to manifest. And I'm just, I'm looking forward to being surprised. Okay. Yeah. That's, oh gosh, that's wait. the speculation for the episode <laughs> that we are recording right now. Okay. Like, that's it. Period. We're bookending heavy. it. I'm like, what if we went back to Mortis, a Mortis-esque <laughs> place, there was a tornado of ghosts around. <laughs> and what if we recycled the Rise of Skywalker <laughs> imagery that was never used? <laughs> But I don't want to speculate too much. <laughs> much. It's okay. This is who we are and we just have to embrace it. But I just don't want, you know, I'm just, I'm very cognizant of like the episode being fully like wild speculation and it ruining our viewing of Deborah Chow's Obi-Wan Kenobi, which I am loving and give an A plus, you know? Oh yeah. I'm fully obsessed. But wait, there's one other thing I want to add into my tornado of ghosts. Okay. Okay. Is, um <laughs> What? Well, also, also, like we're gonna get Qui Gon back. Like, I feel like that's happening. That has to happen because that True. was like really brought up in the beginning of the show. So I feel like that's gonna happen. Guess where that also happened? Yeah, Mortis. Do you think yeah. Qui Gon is gonna tell Obi Wan to kill Anakin? Oh my god, that just blew my mind. <laughs> I just wait. Let me say <laughs> the other thing too. From okay. of what if in the tornado of ghosts. Uh, Padme appears. No, shut up. I can't. I can't. And she says, and she says, and I quote, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, or just help me, Obi-Wan. I can't. (laughs) I can't. I just like, I physically like, I cannot get to the point of, I I just can't talk about it with (laughs) Natalie Portman anymore. I just can't talk about it. I know. I know. I know. But okay, let's go back to Qui-Gon. Do you think Qui-Gon would tell Obi-Wan to kill Anakin? I actually think that's a really solid bet because I think that it is so fascinating that with the story of our hero, Obi-Wan Kenobi, in this show, our protagonist, our man who grows and changes, Luke is the hero of Star Wars, right? Like Luke is the one who sees past all of this like bullshit that of the past with the Jedi and the rules and the rule of two, like all of this crap. Like Luke sees past it and just sees his father, the man inside the mask, who he doesn't let Anakin forget who he is. That's his whole mission and goal in Return of the Jedi. And I think Obi-Wan, in a sense, like has to do the opposite where he has to really forget who Anakin was because his only mission after this specific series, I suppose, is to get Luke to confront Vader and kill him and because he's the only one who possibly can. How does he get there? I don't know. Maybe the show will explore it. And maybe Qui-Gon is part of that. Ah, I'm like, that's a lot for me to think about. <laughs> to be honest, I, it's because I don't think I have a full grasp on Qui-Gon as a character. Yeah. He's a character that I didn't – I don't love and I didn't love in – uh the Phantom Menace a couple years ago. I've since like liked him more with books and things like that. I just don't think I fully have a full grasp on him just because I think he is 
so different from the Jedi that we are so used to in the prequels. And I think that's part of his character and that's part of his appeal. And I'm aware of that. And I, that's also like definitely part of what I like about him as a character. Um, I think books like Master and Apprentice really helped me with Qui-Gon as a character, but I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that because I just don't think I have a full grasp on it. But that question really, really blew my mind. So thank you for that, Caitlin. You're welcome. <laughs> you know, I need to go back and actually listen to what he tells Obi-Wan in the cave in Mortis. So yeah, time to rewatch. It's time to fire it's up Mortis. Time to fire up Mortis. Grab your wine bottle, your Tarkinian night flowers. Time to fire up. <laughs> Let's go. Mortis. <laughs> I mean, anytime, you know, it's so funny. Every time I watch the Mortis trilogy, I go into it like this time I'm going to really pay attention and I'm going to fully understand. And then I leave it with more confused than I ever was. Yeah. So I think I do. Yeah, I definitely do need to re- rewatch that episode. Uh, Let's do it tonight. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> you, you've got a you've got a lot to do tonight. I know your schedule tonight. I know it's on your agenda, so I don't think we can. But okay, <laughs> not tonight. <laughs> okay. 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 Um, but yeah. Okay. All right. Well. Is there any wild, other wild speculation you want to throw at the wall while we're here? I am just going to say this, and I don't mean it as someone who's like a canon junkie or like thinks that the show Obi-Wan Kenobi is like disrespecting canon or anything like that, because I really don't think it is. In fact, I think it is very respectful. But I am intrigued by the line of Vader saying to Obi-Wan, when I left you, I was but the learner, but now I am the master. What even is that? If we wanted to put that in the context of the show, I think that if they want to address that, I don't think that they need to because I just don't think that George Lucas even cared about continuity. Well, there's not even a timetable in what Vader says to Obi-Wan, you know? But I think if they, like, wanted to, like, solidly connect that line, it must mean that in their – I mean, we know it's going to happen – you know, Obi-Wan ultimately leaves the final, this this big showdown of the century alive. So Right, perhaps, and so does Obi-Wan. Yeah, so perhaps he bests Vader with a move or something. I don't know. I wonder if Palpatine is part of it, and that, like, is the I was but the learner, but now I'm the master reference, is that Obi-Wan gets a full glimpse of the rule of two, the Sith duality and he's very much aware of his role like the fact that he's no longer the ma- like the master and apprentice are no longer for Obi-Wan and Anakin and now it's Vader and Palpatine like something like that I don't know but that's my that's something I'm just thinking about in my head about are they going to address that are they not going to and how are we going to feel about that in the future I don't know I don't know I think there's a very good chance there could be like a complete paradigm shift with how we understand Obi-Wan and Vader's relationship that will impact in a big way a new hope. I think so too. Even more looking forward to that. Yeah. And I think we could expect that. I don't know if they have to do that because I I think it still works even if they just have this like big showdown and there's no kind of dialogue that you can kind of point to as connecting to a new hope. Like I don't think they need to do that. And um, I know we talked about that a little bit last episode last week with some of the the things that got discussed in that episode. But yeah, I think there could be a really big shift in how we understand the relationship. Right now, it feels like, well, 
maybe Obi-Wan learns this, like maybe he finally does talk to Qui-Gon and he learns this new force ability that he could only learn from Qui-Gon who only learned it from the cosmic force, you know, almost similar to like the revelation of the force projections that Luke does in The Last Jedi or even the force bonds themselves between Rey and Kylo, like something new that we haven't seen explored yet in the force that explains how Obi-Wan is able to best Vader as Mm -hmm. his master, as his former master. We'll see. Yeah. Yep. I am intrigued by that too. And if that was, that was just like my final theory or something that I wanted to talk about in speculation. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you're gearing up for the last two episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi. We certainly are. If you want to talk to us about it online, you can find us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Charlotte's is at Clarity and mine is at Caitlin Plusher. We also have our Instagram website, skytalkers.com, TikTok, and Facebook page. You can find us in all of those places. And if you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes or Spotify, we would really love it if you took a chance to go and do that. It does help other people find our show. Oh, and um, before I forget, we talked about this before Celebration, but we did a collaboration with the shop A Fan Of. That's the name of the shop, A Fan Of, for two t-shirts, one about the second trilogy and one about Star Wars Weekends. And that collaboration is ending this Sunday. June 12th is the last day that you can order those t-shirts from A Fan Of shop. So that collaboration will be gone out the window. You can order your Star Wars Weekends and second trilogy shirt no more. (laughs) So if you are interested in picking one of those up, now is the time to do it. Thank you to everyone who has ordered. It was a really fun collaboration for us. And I hope we get to do more in the future because we love Tiff, the shop owner, and we own so much of her merchandise. (laughs) It's so great. But yeah, you can find that on her shop. The link will be in the show notes. We also have our Skytalkers specific merchandise on our website, skytalkers.com. And if you're interested in other ways to support the show, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our different reward tiers there. I actually have on the fan of Star Wars Weekends. I'd rather be at Star Wars Weekends shirt right now. It is so comfy. It's my favorite. Anyway, I want to say a big thank you to these patrons. Chuck, BJ, Suara, Kyle, Neil, Aaron, Cherie, Matt, Kelly, Amy, Susanna, Daz, Stuart, Diana, Allie, Katie, Daniela, Travis, Adam, and Sarah. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you.